when a lot of these brands are looking at how to build trust with customers and increase their conversion rate, a lot of that has to do with consistencies in their brand. So that means, you know, their iconography all feeling the same, their font sets and their design hierarchies feeling consistent. All of these little visual cues are helping instill trust in the brand where you feel like, okay, I'm not getting ripped off here. Tell our guests stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f- up. This episode is sponsored by our friends over at maga.io. On today's show, we have Sean Brand, the co-founder of Audit, a brand-first conversion rate optimization company that's worked with over 750 direct-to-consumer brands to help boost conversion rate and strengthen brand loyalty through their website. I'm excited to welcome Sean to the podcast. What's up, Sean? What's up, Daniel? Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. I want to talk about your background first because I think it's an interesting background to talk about CRO. Let's go dive into like how did you even get into starting audit and what's your background? My background in design is is very unique and my background in marketing in general. I actually I went to to university for marketing, like got a business commerce degree. And, and when I finished, I knew I wanted to to be an entrepreneur and start my own company. I, I kind of had that mindset of a lot of young young people graduating and I said I, I want to travel first. But I had this mindset of how could I position my travel and, and market it so that I don't have to pay for it. So a friend, my partner and I actually came up with a reality TV show for our travel and we sold advertising for it. It was much long, much before uh, reality TV was much of a thing, but we actually got like an online TV station to produce it and send a, a videographer with us for six months. And we basically went uh, on a road trip for six months and had it documented and made a reality TV show out of it which was not a success. Uh, we didn't do a tremendous job of marketing it, but it was a ton of fun. And it kind of gave me my first, I guess, foray into, and I guess really showed me how scrappy I can be when it comes to finding ways, unique ways to position things and market things, You know, taking a, a simple road trip with a friend and trying to get it paid for by selling marketing. And so when that was over, we kind of saw the need or, or not the need, but our talent uh, base as being kind of that scrappy designer and marketer. And so we ended up starting a, a product design firm in 2011 when we got back. Over the next eight years, we scaled that into from, we were started in Canada and we scaled that into New York, Miami, Paris, Toronto. We had about 70 designers. Yeah, my, we really scaled it into a, a really focused product design agency. So my background is much more in product design than CRO. So I really like a decade of experience in essentially removing barriers from like large scale software products. So worked with a lot of fortune 500 companies and really just helping them essentially do what audit does now, which is we're going through an end to end experience and we're finding ways to remove barriers and simplify it. And I think what's interesting about CRO and how we approach it and how that feeds into audit is there really is no like, secret formula that's applied to certain industries or brand size, it really comes down to whether it's a single page experience or like a 50 step booking flow for an airline, your goal is just simple. It's, it's removing barriers and unnecessary clutter 
and you know you're going to see conversion climb. So I think that that product design background is is a very big shift from a traditional CRO agency that I'm sure a lot of listeners might have dealt with or or you know looked into when it comes to CRO, which is much more you know data driven, A/B testing these types of things. That's awesome. I I want to go into like what is the difference between brand first CRO and traditional CRO. Like what is this term? Brand for a CRO. Yeah. So when we first started audit, we had been working, we have an, a sister company called Coolin uh, that does performance marketing and how audit kind of came to be was we had all these clients spending, you know, 50 to 250 grand a month on paid marketing and they're spending a thousand dollars a month on their website. And as a product designer, I kind of look at that and I'm like, well, let's ask backwards. You're in a, in a journey from clicking an ad to purchasing something, there's, let's say, 10 steps. That ad is step one. So the, the math for me of spending all of your money up front and then just kind of leaving the site up to a template you bought or you know some other designer's intuition on e-commerce just didn't make any sense to me. So we started doing these audits for our customers. And the reason we call them brand first is that traditional CRO is much more focused on Okay, let's let's A/B test these two pages with two different button sizes, button text, button colors, you know, all the different little nuances, and you're just essentially split testing the two ideas. Whichever one shows the data um, in a higher conversion rate, that's the one you stick with. And brand for CRO isn't a replacement to that. I think that has a ton of merit, and any brand that can afford or has the resources to be A/B testing all their changes and decisions should be. When we came up with brand for CRO. The idea was that all of those testings are really great, but in order to get them effectively working and in, to, in order to effect, get good data out of them, you need to have a really good foundation. And a lot of the brands that we were dealing with, the foundational elements of, of their experience were just so clunky. And so Audit kind of introduced this stage before traditional CRO, which is brand first. So our goal when we have a customer come in is to essentially audit their entire site or whatever pages that they've purchased. And all we're doing is we are essentially aligning their brand to build trust faster with consumers and to give them just a better baseline of their user experience. So we're going to go through kind of end to end and remove any unnecessary clutter or things that just don't need to be there, add in recommendations that are kind of the best practices to get just the foundation of like their customer journey when they come in from that ad, whether it's on their PDP or their homepage or whatever page that is, and just helping them kind of align that user experience journey before they start testing all of those more traditional CRO tactics. I love that you're talking about the frictionless part of like CRO where it's not only thinking about I need to change copy, I need to change color, I need to change like form fields, it's more also like what type of steps can I remove from my the buyer journey so a buyer can get to the end stage faster, which is, a, I think, very, very operational way to think about it versus like long-term full funnel operational way to think about it instead of yeah. where C, traditional, a lot of CROs just, how can I make the website better and get them to next stage like or fill out form where yeah I, I think there's a part of brand for CRO where 
you're making decisions on, on whether, you know, and, so, and in some cases you almost are sacrificing short-term conversion. I know that sounds backwards, but when a lot of these brands are looking at how to build trust with customers and increase their conversion rate, a lot of that has to do with consistencies in their brand. So that means, you know, their iconography all feeling the same, their font sets and their design hierarchies feeling consistent. All of these little visual cues are helping instill trust in the brand where you feel like, okay, I'm not getting ripped off here. It's not necessarily the consumer coming and thinking that consciously, but those are, you know, when you think of all the brands that have the biggest following or the biggest loyalty, you know, what they're best at is being consistent. It's not necessarily having a bright red button that an AB test told them would convert better. It's building long-term brand trust, which in the long run is what your conversion rate is all going to be based off of. So it, a lot of it is just that simple stuff of just, you know, like you pointed out, removing those barriers and just simplifying the experience. A lot of our customers, and, and this is the gift of D2C in general, you know, there's an alternate path on their site to take a quiz instead of just purchasing from a PDP. And, you know, that's one of those paths that we see brand first really shine because a lot of them, if you did that in a traditional CRO sense, you're almost split testing headlines and split testing what the button should be labeled. But when audit comes in, like there's, we've done quizzes where they come in and they have 17 questions. And when we give it back, there's three. We're not A-B testing. Well, what's the copy on this question? We're just saying 17 of these or 15 of these questions are just total bullshit, you know, copywriting marketing fluff. And you're making your customer go down this really long journey. That's just so unnecessary. You're, you're surfacing one of two results. You don't need 17 questions or 17 answers to, to, you know, surface, you know, one of two products that you're selling. So it's just so much about removing friction from that customer journey. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the best way to put it with brand, for brand first is just removing friction points. What are some elements of a website that are the most important, especially in the D2C, of a D2C website? I think that one of the biggest things that we're seeing a shift towards, and, and it's mostly because there's so many brands launching now. I mean, every... Everything from packaging to production of products is is so accessible and becoming easier and easier to do that you're just seeing hundreds of D2C brands pop up every day, I feel like. And because of that, it becomes a little murkier, right? It's it's harder to build trust and get people to buy into the product idea as not being a simple Amazon resale or something that, you know, a lot of these brands have never even seen their products. They're just reselling them or, or shipping them. So what we see the most common and what's working the most. Is, is really content that's communicating value to the consumer. And most of that is done through social proof. So whether that's real customers talking about the product or you know positive press that's not just, hey, we paid for the New York Times to write about it, whatever, like actual positive feedback or press or social proof from real users is, is really the number one thing because a lot of these brands are so new you know, you can't Google them and find a bunch of info on them. You, you really do need real users to be communicating with new potential customers in a way that feels authentic and, and organic. I think the other thing that uh, a lot of the brands doing are, are doing these, like when they're launching these sites that, that they're missing the mark on is, is just communicating more simply. I think the, the nature of a lot of them is they launch these products and they, they tend to over-explain them or just, I guess, speak in marketing lingo or just like marketing tags. And I think they're very much underestimate 
what a simple image of the product and a simple description of what it is and what the benefits are will do for a consumer. You know, you only have their attention for a short period of time. So I think the most underrated thing, I think, is just being very simple. A question for that. How do you balance staying on brand versus like simplicity, if that makes sense? Like, because I think a lot of people try to use cute language and all this nice stuff on the website to try bring off a certain brand, but then it becomes confusing to the end user. So how do you balance symbol versus stay on brand? It's a good question. I, I think it's definitely a very fine line and very few brands get it right. That's for sure. It's, it's not easy. I think one of the brands that's come up on multiple calls for us this week, when we're talking to new customers is, is, they reference athletic greens. And I don't know if that's just because of the, you know, how obviously it's been marketed and, and blowing up, but I think what they do interesting, interestingly in their site experience is they really have found that balance of it's a simple one page purchase experience, right? It's not like a cumbersome seven page e-com site. And really the only things that they're communicating are the exact value of the product and real people talking about it. That's all they do on the entire site. That's the, like, you know, there's nothing cumbersome. There's nothing over the top. Obviously it's well-produced because they're well-funded, but I think that's really what it comes down to is, you know, when you're building out your brand aesthetic in a packaging or, or your brand kind of guideline, let's say, you know, when you ask about balancing the simplicity with staying on brand, I think, you know, brands are meant to be responsive, just like websites are right. So when it comes to marketing in a digital format, like a website, and your brand is really complex, for instance, it's, it's kind of on you as a founder to adapt that to the digital space in a way that's simple. It doesn't mean just because your packaging is complex that your site needs to be complex. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. And I, that's not an easy task. I mean, that's why brand agencies exist and, 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 brand, and you know, things, things like audit help with that. But it really is, you know, to your point, it's not easy. It, it's a hard thing to do to find that balance, especially if you do have a complex product. Do you understand how your technology stack comes together or have you spent hours on end trying to get a full picture of how your organization uses marketing tools? Well, consider checking out TechStackBuilder at maga.io. In a few moments, it can take your corporate domain and detect all your tools and help you create a visual data flow in just minutes. Check it out today at maga.io, which is M-C-G-A. W.io. What are some common mistakes brands make with CRO? Oh man. <laughs> I think one of, there's so many. It's really interesting though, because so many, I mean, let's say 99% of the brands that maybe we would deal with as customers at least are on Shopify. You see a lot of the same problems because they're all using the same framework, the same templates, the same, the same foundational elements, right? So a lot of the mistakes are the same. But I would say the main thing that happens is for the most part, brands overthink or oversell what they're doing. And I think that comes down to too much content or just really, you know, we say this to all of our customers. If there's a paragraph of text on your homepage anywhere, it doesn't matter what it's describing, delete it and start again. It just simply because unless you're like, I mean, I can't even think of a product that will require 
a paragraph in every cross section to describe. You should be describing everything you do simply. I think that's probably the number one fault of people is you have users' attention for such a short period of time. Like you just, everyone's the same, right? They're on Instagram, they're on Facebook, they're on their messages, they're on the internet. They're jumping around so frequently. You have their attention for such a short period of time. You know, when they're landing from an ad, you have to speak clearly, you have to speak simply speak in bullet form. Um, you know, that's a, one of the main things that we recommend is just make it scannable, right. By, by showing information in bullets or check boxes or anything that they can kind of like visually scan instead of having to read the whole paragraph to get the, the main key points out, you're saving them time. And, and because you have such a short amount of their time, it's more likely that they're reading the information when it's short and simple. So a lot of our customers push back and they're like, well, you know, that, that has all the info that the user needed. And it's like, maybe, maybe a paragraph of text does have all the info that you want to communicate, but none of your users are reading it. So what does it matter? I would way rather they read two bullet points than none of your paragraph. So it really comes down to, and, and what we're recommending in most every audit is just cutting the fat. That, that's mostly what we're doing is cutting fat. And that's honestly, it's an interesting result of Shopify's templates are so full of content. It's just, it's just like, they're not designed for CRO. They're not designed for conversion necessarily. They're designed to sell people templates and to sell people Shopify, which in most cases is to look sexy, not necessarily to convert. I love that. I think that's a very interesting point that you would think that Shopify would want more customers to convert down funnel. And maybe it's because they're a very big storytelling company, which they're back. But it's interesting to think about that's all these templates out there that people are putting out there are actually hurting them in the long run, but they think it's best practices for them. I think Shopify does so many things amazing in the checkout flow, you know, we never really screw with that with our customers, right? That's one of those parts of the Shopify experience that is actually pretty well done. And they do a good job of making it feel, you know, natural and, and easy to use. But as a company of their size and, and how much of a, you know, partner they need to be to D2C brands, I feel like they could be doing, I mean, they could, they should be doing our job. They, they audit shouldn't exist. A lot of the stuff that we recommend should be getting surfaced to you in your Shopify backend, right? Like if I'm putting together my homepage header, right. On my site where all that's where everyone comes to my site and they're discovering me for the first time. They're like, holy shit, this is audit. You know, I'm excited to discover these, this brand and I'm about to explain it to them. You know, if, if I'm Shopify and I'm giving these D2C brands a template and they put in 700 words in their homepage header, I should be surfacing a, a notification to say, hey, you know, our best practices show that keeping content simple and to the point, you know, is easier for users to digest, keeps them on site longer and communicates better. But they're not, right? They're, uh, people like us or brands like us, consultants have to do that. So I think just, there's a ton of things that they should be doing better. But that said, they do a ton of things great. So <laughs> you, can't, you can't win them all. There's a product that in B2B called Mutiny who does, I don't know if you heard about it, but they do A-B tech testing and they recommend a bunch of things. Like if you do something on your side, they're like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you doing this? And it reminds me what Shopify should be doing. It's 
it's like, have you thought about this? Some of our best stores that are performing are using this many, uh, and they have all that data. So it's, yeah. it's crazy that they don't do that. Um, and it would be a great experience because like, maybe they, it's because they are trying to support the ecosystem of let me go get a web developer. Let me go get a copywriter. Let me, cause one person can't do it by themselves. But at the same time, like a, someone who doesn't have cash that are trying to store and start a Shopify store, they need help that it yeah. might not be their expertise to start a store like that. Yeah. I think a lot of how the ecosystem is set up, helps spark creativity, right? It, it, it gives you opportunities to grow and try things. But I, I think in general, they have a bit of an obligation to educate D2C mm. founders. And, and a lot of the businesses that Audit deals with as customers, they're not, you know, nine-figure D2C brands. They're a husband and wife selling a product out of their home and, and they're bootstrapping it. And I think that's part of why audit was built was to help brands that can't afford to bring in a brand agency or they can't afford to hire a digital agency, but they still want a really, you know, the, the eye and perspective of someone in that space without paying necessarily a 10, $20,000 retainer fee. And I think, you know, Shopify is as many great stores online and, and massive brands that are hosted there. 99% of the stores on the, on Shopify are small, small, small companies. And I think they 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 have an obligation to be teaching these founders a little bit more than they are. In turn, like you said, they have access to all the information that should be surfacing more. I agree. Uh, their tagline is also like inspiring. I don't know if it's but it's inspiring entrepreneurship. Yeah. But it's all about entrepreneurship. So it's not meant for supporting these huge brands. It's more meant for like me going to spin up a store quickly because I don't have resources to go get a web developer and build my own shopping cart and all that crazy stuff. One question I have is Apple, for example, like changed their um, Safari's nav bar. How has that affected websites, especially D2C website? Yeah, I think we're seeing more templates in Shopify that allow for you to have a mobile menu at the bottom instead of the top. I think where it is affecting the user experience is that it's so abnormal or just unusual for users that it almost has a negative effect when it shouldn't. So I guess what I'm saying is like the design trend has not, uh, or at least users haven't caught up to the design trend yet. So it's not common enough for it to be really actually a good experience because they're just so not used to it. Like anything though, I feel like over the next five years, you're going to, you won't even remember that navigations on any website or any browser or any application ever existed at the top. In my opinion, within five years, every single interaction that's stuck to a site. So a nav, a toolbar, it'll be bottom only. And I honestly, it, it, in the, in the past, the reason that all of that navigation is at the top on a mobile device is because desktop came first. And before there was mobile devices, it was just, you know, desktop internet. And that's where the navigation was. So when you adapted to mobile, it was natural for it to be in the same place. And now what I think we're going to see is a shift where mobile is now leading those trends, right? So now that mobile is shifting to the bottom, 
it's going to be weird, but I, my guess is that we're going to see desktop navs and everything shift to the bottom too, because now mobile is leading that, that trend and setting things. So I think it's going to be a really ugly next few years of, of 50, 50 and, and, you know, some people being confused, but I think long run, you're, you're going to see it just simply uh, be all moved to the bottom. Experience wise, I get it because you go and text on the bottom. I just know for a fact, like my mom, like came to me and was like, "Why is my nav bar at the bottom? Could you help me move it to back up to the top?" <laughs> she was pissed about it, even though it's supposed to be an easier experience because of the habit of it being up top. Even yeah. I got annoyed with it at first. I was, I was. Where's the nav bar? Where's the nav bar? Oh, it's down here. So I think, but like you said, like all designs and all trends, it takes time to catch on. Even like TikTok, for example, like now it's it's moving into all creative and becoming more human. But at first people were like, is this only for kids? So yeah, and I you're gonna get people that are gonna be frustrated. I, it, it's just going to take time for it to catch up. I think at the end of the day, it's closer to where the user's hands are. And so it, it's really hard to fight that unless people start holding their phone from the top. You're not going to see designers that are designing applications and experiences focused on the top anymore. I think there's just too much value in having all those actions close to their hands. What would you think if a web page opens up and there? nav bar is at the top but in the future for example yeah. app search engines on the bottom and you open up the web page and now someone has to go up top to search with something in a product or or in a on a website and stuff like that do you think traditional nav bars even on websites will start moving to the bottom from mobile or do you think those will also stay up on the top I think, yeah, I think even the more traditional ones are going to move to the bottom. I know right now when you, when a website has a, a bottom nav, like the, the few templates that are out there, it's more, it feels like a floating button than a navigator. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see a lot more shifts where it feels more permanent, like Safari, where it's like, there's nothing up there anymore. It's just all at the bottom. Yeah, it's super interesting. I didn't like think about it as much until you could brought it up, but it makes sense why it's there right now and why they're testing it, especially if phones get any bigger than they are right now. And people don't have big thumbs to just reach up to the top. Yeah. And it I think it totally makes sense. The, the other part of it that's interesting is that most digital design trends in the mobile digital world are led from the iPhone when, when the iPhone came out. Right. And that, that changed digital experiences completely and how we approached mobile design because it, it gave a platform that was worthy of it. And the fact that Safari is the one that did it first does have an impact because, you know, the design team that leads those types of decisions, all that tells me is that everything that they're going to be doing moving forward in that ecosystem is going to be that way. And they kind of are the leaders when it comes to adopting these things. So I think you're going to see everyone else just follow suit just naturally because it's almost like that assumption of, oh, well, if they did it, they must have tested it really, really hard. And uh, it must make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
What are some easy fixes besides, what are some examples? I mean, you talked a little bit about that, but what are some things that founders today or marketers could do to make simple tweaks on a website to make the experience better? Yeah, I think that when it comes to surfacing products, so like on a product page, for example, a lot of our customers, they're they're driving a lot of their traffic through paid traffic. It's not organic and they're driving it to their product page. And I think one of the main things that we see is when you're driving traffic to your product page, you almost lose that whole story, right? Because they didn't land on the homepage. So they don't have that, that storytelling back and forth of explaining how it's made, where it's made, you know, all the standard stuff of communicating the value of a product on a homepage. And I think a lot of brands tend to just get you to their product page and then surface and add the cart button as fast as they can because they just think, well, the higher, the higher up it is, the easier it is to click. It's going to go hot. They're going to go click it fast. And they completely neglect to, to tell the story again. And I think that's one of the major things that needs to change on product pages when it comes to D2C brands is, is just telling a, retelling that simple story, even if they did come from the homepage. There's so much traffic landing on your product page. I think it's important to almost treat your product pages as a, as a micro kind of landing page, right? Where it's not just your standard image, title, price, add to cart. You really do need to surface a little more info and, and nuance it a little bit. Again, it's, you're, you're forcing users to explore too much by burying that info, which is what a lot of them are doing. Well, it makes sense because people are wondering, how do people use this product? what what is it for like how can i set it up they don't want just a description of just like oh this is this and this is the ingredients or whatever they want to feel how other people are using it so they can put themselves in their shoes and they don't have to do research and go on social media and be like okay oh this is how people use it especially if there's not much on social media you don't want to take people off the experience and then yeah. they can find anything on your brand. I, I think the other thing that we talk to a lot of brands about is because there's so many new brands launching, it, it's very, 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 very difficult to stand out. So you see a lot of brands doing that through their brand aesthetic or different elements that aren't their product, right? So if it's whatever, you know, a shapewear company and there's 10 of them that all kind of look the same and they're really just changing their positioning and their copywriting to be different than each other. I think one of the main things that we're always pushing our customers to do is just communicate your differentiator front and center. I think there's a lot of products in the D2C space that they don't need to be explained on the base level because customers know what a t-shirt is, right? They know what pants are. You don't have to explain to them what that is. But you, your job to explain when you're in more of those general categories is what makes yours better than everyone else's or different than everyone else's or giving back more money when you purchase than everyone else's. And a lot of them necess- don't necessarily communicate that super clearly. They just assume that because they came from an ad and someone liked the design on their shirt or whatever the product is that they're going to purchase. And I think there's just too many options out there to rely on that. I think you need to really think hard and and put a, a ton of time and effort into the copywriting of of your positioning within that space and doing it simply. I think one thing you also brought up that is super key is 
brands need to do branding before they start selling and figuring out their why and figuring out how they're different in the market and figure out how they stand on their competitors because you can go create a website today, but if you don't understand that it's, you're going to lose. So I, I think an important part here is the, you need to figure out brand before you even push out a website or push out products like this. Yeah. And it, it, it's not to say that if you don't solve it, you won't be successful or make money, but that multiple will go up, right? If you, if you do do it first and you do focus on it, because the less that you need to communicate or the less cumbersome that experience is, you know, every ad dollar spent becomes more efficient because you're obviously conversion rates going up when you are communicating more clearly. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Sweet. I think I have one or two more questions for you, and then I'll give some time to you to explain what audit does for companies, even though we've kind of explained that. How do you tell companies when they want to make the experience over the top, cool, like cutting edge? What should they do instead? Because all the time, I know you have a statement that says cool doesn't convert. So how, how do you balance that with people who come to you? Yeah, it's, it's actually very, very difficult. We have a, quite a few customers that, that have those site experiences that you, you almost have to find that balance of conversion and, and their aesthetic, right? You don't want to, there's, there's a certain aspect of their conversion where, you know, the experience can almost suck because they've done such a good job of branding it that people have bought in, right? They're not even, they're not even worried about how many steps it takes or how bad a site is. They're just so bought into that brand and that aesthetic that they'll convert anyway. So you're kind of always trying to find that balance, right? Like we, we did some, some auditing on, on magic spoon and it's one of those experiences and aesthetics. That's like, it's super unique. And a lot of it's just very like out there. Right. And so when you're trying to, recommend certain conversion tactics on a brand like that, or, or like a high fashion brand where there's just like nothing but white space, right. Little tiny text buttons. And there's no like formula for that. You're just trying to find the balance of helping them increase conversion without, you know, fucking up their aesthetic because for brands like that, it's, it's so much of their brand loyalty is built on that. And, and that loyalty is what, affects their conversion, honestly, in some cases, more than their site aesthetic or the experience. I wish it was more, you know, data-driven than that or, or easier to, to have kind of a formula for it. But unfortunately, it's, it, it really is just trying to find a balance. No, it's funny you say that because one of my friend's fiancés works in the fashion industry. And when they even they hire people, they're like, oh, they just have that aesthetic for our brand. And it's just like a yeah. feel. It's, yeah. You can't even describe it. Where, and so much is like the fashion industry and stuff like that is built off of pure brand. I don't care if it sacrifices sales. Like I'm not going to sacrifice like what people feel when they come to our site and how they feel about our brand, even if they can't figure things out, which is kind of crazy to think about. But yeah. And it's honestly, I think one of the examples I always I give to explain brand for CRO is, you know, it one thing that normal or more traditional CRO or A-B testing doesn't capture 
is, is the more human virality of a product. So as an example, you know, I, we had a customer that, uh, I connected with personally and I went and checked out their products. It was, it's, his name is Jeff. Um, his products, Ugmunk. it's like an analog to-do list product. And I said to him, like, I, it's not for me, right? I'm not, I'm not someone that's going to write out my to-do list in pencil, but the way that the brand was positioned on the site and the way that he sold the product and it was just really well done. Like I, I got it. I totally understood it. It wasn't for me. And I shared that with, you know, four different friends that I knew I knew would like it. I didn't buy it and I probably never will, but I shared it with four people and I know at least one of them bought it. And you can't track that in traditional CRO, right? That, that kind of storytelling that he was able to tell me and sell me on sharing that product with other people that I know would like it rather than something of me converting on site. That's kind of the epitome of brand first conversion, right? It's more about that virality of building brand and like brand trust where I'm actually selling the product for them. And I didn't even buy it myself. You can't really track that. You know what I mean? Like there's no, like. It's true. I mean, the NFTs are a perfect example of this. It's so hard to the experience to buy an NFT is not easy, but people will still jump through the hoops just because someone told them to go buy the NFT. So yeah, and I, I think that's why the power of storytelling is so critical. Because when when a when a product is positioned properly and the story is there, it allows someone like in that scenario that I'm talking about, I was able to visualize, oh, like, okay, I in most cases, okay, this isn't for me, you leave the site. But when it's communicated properly to you, yeah, you might leave the site, but now you've got this product in your head and you're visualizing how someone you know might benefit from it, right? And now I'm sharing it with my friends being like, oh man, you'd love this. You should try this. I don't know. There, there's just something there that it, you in, you just can't quantify it. In some cases, you can't put assign a number to it and, and, and you know, as part of your even normal conversion rate. That's why I have TIFF with like attribution and stuff like that all the time because some things didn't come from that channel. It came from something, something way different than you think it came from. And especially with today's day and age, are you describing it? You can, they might've gone to your Instagram page and clicked through and did that, but that's because they were doing research because their friend told them to go buy the, the product. So I'd love to leave the last minutes for you to explain what audit does and how you help brands. Yeah. I mean, our brand first approach, we try and keep it really simple for customers. We break it into three really simple products, which is just our different uh, tiers of our report. So what we essentially do is focus only on conversion points. So the main things that we focus is cart, navigation, homepage, product page, and collections pages. Anything outside of that, we're totally willing to take a look at. It's just not our focus when we're going through the audit. And yeah, basically what we're going to do when we do an audit report is we go through whatever pages you've purchased and we basically go through each cross-section. We do a before and after mock-up of a fully redesigned header or the fully redesigned product card or whatever cross-section we're looking at. And we give you really easy to understand recommendations and rationale of why we made those recommendations. I think one of the main things that we're seeing come out of these reports for our customers is they're more of an education tool than anything. So you're going to see, you know, if you bought an audit for your homepage, it's going to be basically redesigned, which is great. But 
the main benefit is that when we do it, we actually explain the exact reasoning of why a decision was made or why a change was made or why a button is wider or why it's smaller. And I think the goal for us is we always say this to our, our customers, like we, we don't want you to hire us again. We want you to hire us once and we want you to feel like you're equipped with knowledge of more brand for CRO, which is just aligning things across your site, being more consistent, speaking more clearly, and use a lot of the stuff that we're trying to teach you in that report to make better decisions when you launch your next page or your next product or your next brand. I like that. I like the, you don't want them to come back because I think the best consultants or agencies also teach people how to fish. Like you can only, they don't just fish for them as well, which is super smart. Yeah. And I think going back to the very start, like I don't think there's a ton of platforms teaching a lot of this stuff very well. And and if they are, they tend to be speaking over you a lot of the time. So we, we try and do it in a way that's really easy to understand. And, and, you know, you get a lot of people going, yeah, that makes sense. It, we position in a way that it feels like common sense, because in a lot of cases it is right. It's bigger because it's easier to click. I mean, that you don't have to be a 10 year product designer to understand that it, it's just kind of common sense once you read it. So yeah, it really is it mostly about trying to get our customers up to speed on why some of the recommendations are what they are. And, and hopefully when they launch new stuff, um, yeah, they don't need us the next time. Oh, well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining. And it was great having a first conversation on podcast. So thank you. Yeah, no, it was really nice to, really nice to meet you. And uh, I appreciate you having me on. 